Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. And welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic from the business owner's or executive's perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understand when you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's pro- program. I'm a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia, which is where we are recording today. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator, and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. So today we're going to talk about uh, adjusting your prices, and uh, this this show is going to be published shortly after the uh, the secular New Year. So for those of you who celebrate Christmas, I'll, I'll wish you a Merry Christmas uh, after the fact, and those of you who celebrate uh, uh, the the uh, Catholic, Protestant New Year. Uh, Happy New Year to you! If if you are a Kwanzaa celebrant, I will wish you a happy Kwanzaa in uh, in um, arrears as well, and uh, happy Hanukkah. This will probably come out, I guess, a few days after the last uh, last evening of, of Hanukkah. And uh, if you're an atheist and don't believe any of this, I'll just wish that you have a nice day. Um, but anyway. Um, we wanted to make sure that this particular program started off the new year because it's a topic that, um, that, that I think most business people are thinking about revisiting. And if you're not, you probably should. And, and that is the topic of pricing. Um, pricing, I think, is one of the hardest things to get right, particularly but not limited to professional services. Um, figuring out the price that you need to – charge your clients, your customers, um, is, is a challenge. Um, and it's a challenge as much as anything because the market is not very transparent. Um, we don't know what our competitors, at least in professional services, we don't know exactly what they are charging except on, on rare occasions. Um, and even if you do, you're not exactly sure necessarily how to equate the value propositions, you may or may not be sure how your client equates those value propositions. Um, and, and because pricing is so difficult, it is important, I think, to revisit that on a regular basis, at least every year, because uh, that way, if you're getting it wrong, you only have to live with the mistake for about a year or so. Um, and on the other hand, if you're getting it right, great. You revisit it. You think about it for five minutes. I'm good. And, and, and you move on. And, and pricing – has you know some interesting psychology to it as well because we are placing we are making a statement to the market that we believe our product and service is worth X and when somebody decides not to buy whether it is a product or a service um, they are telling us that they don't agree that it's worth X and that requires some mental toughness in order to kind of sustain yourself. Uh, sustain yourself through that. So um, it's an important topic, and and we're going to get into it today. Um, I was thinking about relaying an anecdote, actually, of a pricing uh, challenge and event that I just had. But I'm going to wait until we do the interview because I think it'll flow better. 
So let's let's jump into it. Um, joining us today is John Ray, who is the owner of Ray Business Advisors. John helps small to mid-sized companies, including law firms and CPA firms, achieve their profit and growth goals. And God knows we need help. John's clients come to him to reduce the stress and anxiety, which often comes with day-to-day management of a business. John works with businesses to enhance their pricing strategies and make more money. John also relieves the burden of accounting and bookkeeping and improves business processes. John holds a Bachelor of Arts from Vanderbilt University, a school with a a terrific baseball program, an okay basketball program, and a football program that's lousy in the SEC but probably is good in almost any other conference. The longest bear market in history. The longest bear market in history. Um, although Tennessee may be giving them a run for their money now, <laughs> interestingly enough, um, with honors in English and economics. John is also a studio partner for Business Radio X, voice of the Fortune 500,000, and produces this Decision Vision podcast. He helps business owners plan, produce, and promote their own radio shows and podcasts. And I can tell you that that we've been very happy with uh, with John's service and the, the impact that we've had and had the opportunity to make in the marketplace and sharing our knowledge. So, you know, as an aside, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll probably do a show on this, should I do a podcast. Uh, I can tell you that for us, it's been a successful activity and one that's been well worth doing. We're going we're to continue doing it for a while. So if you're hoping we would go away, sorry. Um, John is very active in the North Fulton community. He sits on the board of the Greater North Fulton Chamber of Commerce and serves in a variety of capacities, including the Chairman's Circle, member of the Finance Committee, and co-chair of the Awards Committee. John was named the 2018 Harry Rucker Jr. Volunteer of the Year by the Greater North Fulton Chamber of Commerce. John, welcome to the program. Great to be here. Great to be on the other side of the mic. Yeah. um, So I know you've been chomping at the bit to sort of jump in here, um, but I have to ask you, do you know who Harry Rucker Jr. is and why the award is named for him? (laughs) I have no clue. Okay. I Googled him, but I couldn't find him. That's an honest man right there. So I, um, <laughs> I, I guess he was so generous, he wanted all of his, all of his volunteer activities to go anonymously. So yep. there you have it. Yep. So let's jump into this. I mean, why are we talking about this? Why is You make a living off of helping companies figure out their pricing and correct mm-hmm. their pricing. Why is it so hard? Well, first of all, it's hard, I think, a couple of things. First of all, I don't know that folks get much training, if any, in pricing. And that's really odd because of what an impact pricing has on the bottom line. So studies from folks like McKinsey um, show that pricing has the biggest variable impact on the bottom line of a business. This is an accounting fact. So it's more than cutting expenses. It's more than uh, let's do a better job with marketing or converting leads or what have you. So pricing's got the biggest impact whatsoever. Yet um, business schools, the last stat I saw uh, shows that only less than 10% of business schools out there actually have a course, just one course on pricing. So we put entrepreneurs out there into the marketplace uh, get them going, and they're good at customer discovery, and they're good at a lot of things that, that have to do with the business. And if they're not, they can go easily get those skills, um, outsource to get to receive those skills. But pricing is always a problem because of this lack of training and education that they have once they start a company. 
Yeah, and it's interesting. You know, going back to my own MBA experience, which was a very long time ago. My my diploma is on a cave painting in France someplace. <laughs> um, but but we learned almost nothing about pricing. The only time I remember it ever really coming up in a in a rigorous way was we did a marketing simulation. Mm. And we had to do pricing, and that was fine as far as it went, right? But sure. there, there's there's a limit to that, and I mean, I, I think you're so right. In one respect, price is the easiest thing to change about your business, right? You can just yeah. decide to do it. Sure. Now you may not do it correctly, but you can you can do it almost instantaneously, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's just changing the number you put on your engagement letters or going around with a price gun, right? It's it's fairly easy to change. <clears throat> in in your experience. When people or businesses misprice their offerings, do they tend to overprice or or underprice them? Underprice. So, and and I'm an example of this. I have to say, I mean, I got passionate about this because um, you're going to testify, aren't you? <laughs> yes, I am. I'm going to confess right here. Uh, uh, if anybody's listening, I'm confessing. So, um, no, I mean, it, it it's it, you underprice what you do, particularly as you said on in the intro in in professional services, because we have in professional services we price ourselves, and we there's these voices that speak to, to us that sit on our shoulder and whisper in our ear that says, "Oh, that person's not going to pay that much." That you know that company's talking to other people or what have you, and. Um, you know, you need to knock a little bit off of that. That's not going to work. And we talk ourselves out of the way we should price. Um, I think there's a misconception also that if you lower your price, you'll get more business. And actually the opposite is sometimes true uh, because price is an indication of quality. And I could relate a lot of anecdotes um, about how, Increasing prices actually increase sales because suddenly that the customer base that product or service was aimed at saw a lot more quality in what what they were uh, being presented than they had previously. So price is a signal, and it's it's actually a marketing signal. There was a um, there was a great episode on Frasier where uh, Frasier and and Niles were were talking about. I think it was a. Uh, I think it was some sort of massage therapist or something, and and they were bragging. They're bragging. They basically bragged in terms of of the hourly rate, right? So right. Niles was saying, you know, my my massage therapist is five hundred dollars an hour. And Fraser comes and says, mine's a thousand dollars an hour. And Niles goes, she sounds fantastic. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah. And you know, I remember earlier in my career, you know, one of the services we provide something called a fairness opinion, which is a uh, uh, an appraisal of a business where we have some fiduciary responsibility attached to it. So there's mm. liability. So we tend to charge more. It's the first one I ever did. Maybe the second one I ever did, uh, but for a very friendly client. Mm-hmm. And um, I want to make sure I got the business. I underpriced it. Mm. I got the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my client told me after the fact, he said, look, I appreciate the price, but I got to tell you, you almost didn't get the work because your bid was so much lower than everybody else's we were concerned or the board was concerned that you actually knew what you were doing and you could put the requisite time and effort into this exercise. And I had to go to bat for you and say, no, he knows what he's doing in valuation. He just doesn't know anything about pricing. (laughs) I said, thanks. 
Right. Right. Yeah. But, you know, we rarely get insight into that process. But I can tell you that, you know, A, I left about $35,000 on the table, Mm -hmm. no doubt, a minimum. And B, I nearly got nothing Mm. because I was so good at negotiating with myself that I negotiated, I almost negotiated myself right out of that business. Well, and we've all looked at something and said, that's too good to be true. Uh, in terms of the price, it's too, there, there's something wrong. And, um, but we rarely take that sentiment and turn it around on our own product or service. Right. right. I mean, you know, we, so I think that's the, uh, uh, that's what you're getting at. And it, it makes tons of sense. And I have never seen anybody. And if, if you're out there, please write in <laughs> and let us know and we'll stand corrected, but I've never seen a business Start out by overpricing. We have no email for you to write in, by the way. We're trying to fix that, but write in sort of metaphorically. That's right. <laughs> or John will give you his email at the end of this podcast, so you can write into there. I yeah, guess. there you go. Um, so is, is pricing as simple as should it just be simple? Are we overthinking it? Should pricing just be simple as here's what it costs me to, to deliver this product or service. Here's the amount I want of, of profit I want to make off of it. Well, certainly your revenues have to exceed your costs. So let's just start with that. So let's make the accountants happy and and we're going to agree to that. Um, What I find is, particularly in professional services, um, is that when a professional services provider focuses on pricing relative to the value that they deliver, then, and, and just getting a piece of the value they deliver, um, and that's their equation, then they make a lot more money and they really don't have to worry about their cost because they deliver so much value generally. So sure, it means it's important to have a profitable business, but that's not really what we're talking about here in getting our pricing right for professional services providers. It's really about getting a piece of the value that you provide such that you can have a more focused business working with the best clients and not be so stressed, uh, really running a, um, a business where you've got a bunch of clients where you really don't want to service a bunch of them, right? Yeah. 20 or 30% of them you really don't want, but you've got them simply because you're getting the revenue out of them, but they're very low margin clients. And that's where you get back into podcast number two. How do I, should I fire my client? That's right. <laughs> what my favorite of the series so far. Um, so uh, can different clients have different prices for roughly the same product or deliverable? And is that okay? Absolutely. So different clients have different values. So, and it's okay to price based on those values. And it's okay to offer options that clients can select the options based on service levels, speed of delivery of the service, et cetera. In fact, I highly, highly recommend, um, in fact, demand (laughs) of my clients that they offer options because that really helps ferret out what you're getting at. Um, So I think the biggest mistake a lot of folks make is, Here's my price. It's kind of a fill or kill adversarial situation, right? Either you accept or you don't. That's the way the client looks at it, right? I think what, Mike, what folks need to understand is that 
clients love options. They like to select. They like to have, see what your panoply of services are and come out with what they want. And, you know, I think the, perhaps the best example, and I, I do this more and more, I offer choices as well, because I find that it, it enables clients to then choose what they want to do, right? And when you empower right. clients, you, 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 you make the relationship less adversarial. Um, but, you know, that rule of three has been embraced for a long time by who I think is the king of price in the airline industry. Yes. Right? I, I don't think there's an industry anywhere that is more sophisticated about pricing mm-hmm. than the airline industry. Right. And what do they offer on most of their flights? Business class, first class, coach, economy mm-hmm. slash surf class, right, <laughs> um, or steerage, and um, uh, you know they, they let you choose, right? If mm-hmm. if, if you want to have the first class experience and the glass of champagne before the flight flight even leaves the gate, you pay that. And you know if you don't mind taking an elbow to the back of your head every once in a while on a five hour flight to the west coast, you can do that too, right? Um, and and so. And you know the, the funny thing is, in, in my experience, and uh, I'm I'm just going to say this sort of on the down low because no nobody's listening except for the two of us, right? That's right. Most often, the most profitable service I offer is the lowest priced one, and that means you've got it correctly priced, right? It's important to understand that different clients have different values and are, will value things differently across the spectrum. So here's a. a an example outside of professional services, coffee. So I'm a cheapskate on coffee. I mean, I'm going to wait. I, I may buy the dollar cup at racetrack. I'd prefer to wait till I get wherever I am and hope they'll give me a cup of coffee for free. Right. Um, then there's my daughter at college who's racking up $5 charges at Starbucks, seemingly every half hour on the half hour. Right. And then the most expensive cup of coffee sold in the United States the last time I looked was $75 a cup. And it comes from some um, exclusive, the air quotes, exclusive uh, farm in Panama where they get one crop a year and they have a big party at, and a tasting at this uh, coffee place in California that serves this coffee and they sell out. So I think that's crazy. But there's some people that look at coffee as fine wine. So, yeah. right? And so, and that's cool. Um, that's, that's their value system. They may have other things that they look at and they're cheapskates about. But we all have a panoply of values that we ascribe to a lot of different products and services. And so, as professional services providers offering our services, we have to recognize that and price accordingly. So, um, you read every once in a while an article pops up. It's probably clickbait, but I'll, I'll, I'll probably take that clickbait, which is on why hourly pricing is the wrong price for professional services. Do you agree with that and why? Absolutely. So uh, hourly pricing is, well, it's wrong on a number of levels. One is, is that it's not really the end price. It's not what a client pays. Clients are interested in what they're going to end up paying. So when you deliver an engagement letter and it says, we're going to charge you, the partner time is 250 or $300 an hour and the associate time is $125 an hour, whatever, um, fill in the blanks. That's not a price. That's just half the equation. It doesn't tell me 
how many hours each of them are going to put into that. It doesn't tell me what happens when the project blows up <laughs> and uh, it takes longer than what we thought it was going to take, which is almost inevitable because things never go the way they're supposed to go, right? Um, so it's wrong from that point of view. It is a relic of the industrial age when industrial companies were trying to price, get their professional services providers to deliver pricing that they could equate with their inputs, basically. I mean, I could go into the whole history of it, but the point of it all is, is that it's from another age and another time. And what clients are really paying for is not how much time you spend on a project. They're paying for the gray matter between your ears and your experience and all the things that you've seen with other clients. That's what they're paying for. And they could give you, I mean, I had this experience with one of your colleagues where I brought a client in and this was just an exploratory meeting on whether this client ought to sign up to be a Brady Ware client, right? And in 15 minutes, they gave tremendous help and advice that um, I think pushed that engagement over in terms of getting that client to sign up. But the point is, is if, if that were a paying client at that time, and that client had been paying by the hour, then the uh, value to price ratio would be ridiculous. That client would have gotten much, much, much more value relative to the price they paid than they should have if you're billing in 15-minute increments. Yeah, and you know, the, the, one of the fallacies then also is that you're punished for being more efficient, mm -hmm. which right. is not the way economics are supposed to work. And, you know, to use the accounting example, you know, I don't think any of our clients are paying for our time or they should not be. Right. Right. They are paying for, on our tax side, they're, they're paying for one of two things. Um, one, um, I'm bulletproof against an IRS audit, right? Or two, I am exercising my civil, my, my civil uh, obligation to minimize what I pay to Uncle Sam as much as I possibly can. Sure. Right? When you're sure. a tax client, the clients want one of those two things, right? They, they either are terrified of Uncle Sam, they want nothing to do with them, or they want to go into combat mm -hmm. with Uncle Sam. Right. Right? And, man, if you're a client that likes to go into combat with Uncle Sam, please call us because, boy, um, we make a lot of money there. So, sure. Um, and, you know, whether that takes one hour or 15 hours, it's the outcome you're buying. Right. Right? Not the – not, 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 not the inputs. Not I mean, the who, input. who cares? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and also it, it has to be, it has to sort of go both ways, right? Yes. You're, you're not going to, the, the client's not going to let you suddenly charge more if something that was supposed to take you 10 hours take, you know, takes you a hundred. Right. Clients are like, well, that's not my problem that you couldn't get your act together. Right. right? Exactly. So by definition, you know, for the most part in most, some some industries are not like this, um, but many industries that that hourly notion is a one way street. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think technology is such artificial intelligence is such that uh, I saw one study that said um, this study said was in five years, 99% of all bookkeeper jobs would be eliminated. That uh, I think it was the same percentage for tax preparer jobs. Well, I don't know that that's true, but directionally, it's probably correct. 
because of technology. Absolutely. We right? don't need as, I mean, we don't have people cranking out tax returns by hand and right. with slide rules and so forth. Yeah. And so as technology and particularly artificial intelligence links between institutions get more robust, I could see it foresee a time when tax returns are uh, real time. You can see your tax return in real time as the year goes on. Right. Yep. And so the value of a tax preparer, let's say, um, comes from the advice they give around that return, not for the preparation of the return. And so, as you say, if you're pricing by the hour based and based solely on preparation of a return, your business is headed straight down over the next few years. Yeah. Period. It, the, the pig is in the python, shall we say. Yep. So um, how do you help your clients respond when they have a their own customer, client, or prospect that pushes back on price? You know, you're charging me too much. I don't want to pay that. What are some of the what are some of the approaches that you advocate to engage in that conversation? What I tell folks is that if you get that response to a proposal, typically you've not had a great value conversation because the client's comparing that price or those prices relative to something other than the value that you're providing. So you you've not done a really good job at marketing your value to that client or getting that client to understand that value. And you don't have a good sense of where their values are. And again, you know, it's kind of interesting. I'll give you an example of this. I had a client who, um, I was having a, a exploratory meeting with and, you know, it was going well and he was almost downplaying what he really needed until his wife came in the room and she was talking about how screwed up he was and how they needed to get their financial act together and uh, their books were a mess and she was sick of it. And it occurred to me at that point that this man's value was getting his wife off his back. That has nothing to do, had nothing to do with the services that I may have been providing, really, um, what it in terms of the way he looked at value. So the point is, if I had never had an in-depth discovery session with him, I wouldn't have understood that value, and I would have, might have priced my services a lot differently, and he might have given me the it's-too-expensive response, right? So that's, you know, I think it's, it's really important to understand client value. And then the other thing I tell folks is when a client says it's too expensive, I say, you know, rel too expensive relative to what? Relative to doing nothing? I mean, is what, what, what's the cost of doing nothing for this problem that you were sitting here talking about? Is it too expensive relative to you doing it yourself? See, when you ask those kind of questions back, then you get to the root of where the value really is in that client's head. So, you know, a lot of it, it sounds like, is, is doing your homework up front. And then if you get that pushback, it means you have more homework that you have to do. Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, that, that, make, that makes sense to me. And, and you know, in, in some cases, well, in every case, this goes back to the right client-provider match, mm -hmm. right? And in some cases, you know, it, it's also about letting clients sort of select themselves out. Right. right? Um, you know, I, I, I know you, you and I actually have a slightly different viewpoint on this. So I'm, I'm going to raise it because I think it'll, it'll 
provoke an interesting sidebar here. You know, when, when a client, when a client calls me and they say, Hey, you know, I've got this valuation project, you know, here are the basic parameters. What do you think it'll cost? Um, I will tell them because I want them to then self-select, right? It, sure. In, in my view, if they have a heart attack over that price, <laughs> right, then I, there's no amount of value exploring I can do that's likely going to bridge that gap, mm -hmm. right? And it just saves both of our time. I know you take a different view on that. So why don't you explain your view, Vision. how you a respond to that, how you respond to that discussion, I do, um, I do take, why? I do take a different view on that. And here's the, here's the issue. Um, I look at it and I say to a client, look, um, I'm not sure we're a great, great fit. Um, because what I'm sensing here is that you're looking for a transaction because that's your first question is what the price is. And I'm interested in relationships. I mean, you know, the way my practice is based. So we're probably not a good fit. Uh, let me recommend some folks that might be better fits for you um, that you ought to have a conversation with. And usually what happens is, first of all, people are taken aback. Sometimes they're insulted. And I tell them I don't mean to insult them. It's just, you know, we have different ways of looking at a potential engagement. And, um, and I'm not offended uh, when they start with that question. As a matter of fact, I'm happy because they've told me, that they're very price sensitive and it's probably a client I don't want. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So they've done me a favor. So that's the way I typically respond. Now, what, what I would say to you is if you're going to respond to a price, I think the first price you should name is the absolute highest price you can, you can come up with. So I don't know what your engagements cost, but let's just make this up. Okay. So, um, let's say the, the, biggest engagement you could ever imagine having is, you know, $150,000. What the way I would respond is, you know, Hey, our engagements could go range from three to 500,000. Do you see what I just did? Right. <laughs> right. On down. So tell me what, what we're talking about. And then I can quote you a more accurate figure. And so then it adjusts that conversation back around to where it needs to be. So let's talk a little bit then about, about negotiating price. How, how do you, how do you do that? Right. You can't, you can't do business without some sort of negotiation and, and, you know, people will haggle over, will haggle over prices for, you know, where they can for things like cars and professional services. What are some tips you can offer to, to people that, that maybe aren't all that comfortable haggling over price? So a couple things. I really think it's important. This is where options come in. If you offer folks options, the good, better, best model, then it really gets into negotiating around service levels, or it should, not price. So uh, that's what I highly recommend is take your – uh, services and break them down into a good, better, best and price around that. And, um, and then the, the negotiation is about how we're going to engage. It's not, first of all, yes or no. And it's, it should not be around price. It, the, the what the, the levels of negotiation should be what services we're going to include 
or take out, depending on what good, which option, either good, better, or best you want, you're interested in. Now, I think also, um, well, actually, let me, let me touch on one thing here because one, one implicit assumption we've had throughout this, this entire discussion is that you as a provider or as a producer don't want to compete on price. Right. But there are some businesses in which the thesis of competing on price is exactly your value proposition, right? Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as that, that's sort of the, the strategy that you're embarking on and, and you drive your business in that direction, right? Sure. You know, just as you mentioned, you know, you'll, you'll tell a prospect that leads off with price that, you know, here are maybe providers that are a better fit because price is sort of the start of their value proposition. I have, I have those in my world as well. Sure. Um, so there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with that where you can run a skew from that as if you don't want price to be the lead of your value proposition. And then you get sucked into the trap of, of next thing you know, you're negotiating on price and not on value. Yes. Um, so I just, uh, uh, so I just had this happen. I posted this on my LinkedIn profile last week and actually gets the post that got me the most engagement all year. <laughs> so people felt my pain uh, and I, I basically said, I'm never going to do this again, which means I'll probably screw it up in a couple of months. But um, you're going to tell you know, the story, I'm right? Gonna t- I'm going to tell the story. Okay, good, so, good. you know, and the story is that, um, I was asked to bid on a project where I had a relationship with the company, but not the executives that had some turnover. Um, but we'd done some work with them before. So what we were going to do was effectively, uh, an update, not a de novo, uh, valuation, uh, exercise. And, you know, they submitted competitive bids, which is fine again, cause I didn't have a relationship with the people, just the company. So, it's weird. There was institutional relationship, but not personal relationship. So, um, uh, and you know, they came back to me and they said, "Look, you know, love to work with you, but you know, this other provider came in uh, a little bit lower. Will, will you match that? You know, if you'll match that, we'll work with you." Mm-hmm. And I wrestled with that. I slept on it overnight. I'm telling myself, "Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it." I'm like, "Oh, but the work is the work's gonna be fairly easy to do, and I hate to lose a client, right? Sure. Different from a new client because losing to me, losing a client is more painful than not getting one you could have. I think. Yes. I think for me, psychologically, that was part of it. Right. Um, the, the word is ego, <laughs> and uh, against my better judgment, I said, "You know what? Yeah, I'll do that." But I did one thing right, which is. I made them give me back something for the price. I didn't just match it. Because mm-hmm. I, th- I think when somebody says, can you do better, and you just match it and don't give up anything, you're telegraphing to the world that you are trying to rip them off, basically. Yeah, yeah right? I couldn't agree more. Right? Yeah. Um, but if I can get something back from them, right, then then it's a more empowered discussion. I said, you know, as long as we can do something where I get paid more if the work gets more complicated and you'll agree to you'll agree to a, a, a multi-year contract with us, and I'll go ahead and do it. And uh, I, I uh, two days later, they came back to me by email and said, you know, another provider came in, they matched your price, and they're not going to make us, they're, they're not going to charge more, even if the work gets more complex. <laughs> <clears throat> and I thought to my, for a second, I was a little upset because I did what they said, and they, and they didn't. Um, but after I took a deep breath, I wrote them an email, I said, you know what, I, I think you found the right match for you, mm-hmm. you know, all the best. Right. And you know, as I thought about that, 
it occurred to me that they did me an enormous favor. Yes. Because that was not going to be the last time that happened between me and them. Right. And they were going to find some small thing, a small a spelling error inside of a footnote someplace <laughs> that to them was going to constitute a material error and right. find a way to break the contract anyway. Right. And, right. and you know, what they also told me is that their time was not valuable because, because of the fact we'd done work with them before, they weren't going to have to tr- tell us about how their business worked and we had models built. They're going to have to do that with a new provider. And it, it, is, it is frightening to work with a client whose time is not valuable <laughs> to them because oh, yeah. oh. they're going to think my time is not valuable. Oh, exactly. So I posted on my LinkedIn that I didn't get burned. I got singed because I dropped a few more hours into the proposal process than I should have. Mm-hmm. But it was actually a good ending in that I didn't get the work and one of my competitors did. <laughs> well, and, and you, that, that time you put into it was tuition. <laughs> that's right. That's right? exactly right. That, that will help you next time. That's exactly right. But what happened there is if you hadn't had that conversation, right? If you hadn't had that back and forth, then that client would not have revealed themselves. And it's really important to get clients to reveal themselves right. to you, right? So that you understand what you're dealing with. And if you're okay having a, um, um, you know, a, uh, uh, a business where, uh, you're dealing with misers, cause that's what I call those folks. Um, and by the way, just as an aside, statistically for goods and services, it's about the studies show there's about 25 to 30% of, of buyers are misers that they don't want to pay. And so it's really important to understand them. So because you had that interaction with them, because you had that back and forth, you got a real good picture on a client you really didn't want at the end of the day. And all you really had to do was deal with your own psychology of saying, hey, it's okay to let that one go. I'm better off. Yep, that's exactly right. And, yep. and, I, and I made it public for two reasons. Number one, because I thought it was instructive. And number two, I was inviting I was inviting mockery and the trolls of the internet so that I would be emotionally battered and bruised so much that I would never, <laughs> ever, ever do it again. So you, the bad memory of that would uh, keep you from doing that ever it again. It was intentional yeah. intentional PTSD. I love it. Because I think in that case, it serves a process. So, And you got all this love from people that have this problem, right? See, that's what that's what's so revealing. That's right. That. Yeah. I mean, that's what's so revealing to me about that story. One of the things about that story is people come back and say, hey, I've got that same problem. Yeah, that's right. Um, and, and, you know, you and I are both business advisors. And, um, you know, one of the things that one of the things I think a good business advisor does understand that they make mistakes, too. Yes. And that they don't know everything. Right. Because um, really, who wants to be around a know it all? Mm-hmm. All the time, <laughs> right? <laughs> Particularly when you know they don't know it all, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. It's one thing if you can back it up. Yeah, um, John, we're running out of, out of time here, but thanks so much for for coming on. Uh, especially uh, we're recording this Christmas Eve here. Um, John, how can people reach out to you if they want to learn more about pricing and get some advice on pricing in the new year? Your price is too low. Dot com. How about that? I love that. <laughs> I just put it out there. Okay. Uh, no, and if you want to go uh, the old-fashioned uh, way, uh, raybusinessadvisors.com will get you to the same place. and Or you can call me, 404-287-2627. Or I put that challenge out there about folks that 
feel like they've priced adequately from the very beginning. Uh, so if you want to email me, let me know about you. We'll we'll get you on uh, do a podcast with you, maybe. Absolutely. Just, maybe we'll right. read your story online as <laughs> as you gloat to that's the rest right. of the internet. But Jay Ray at RayBusinessAdvisors.com. So that's going to wrap it up for today's program. Um, I'd like to thank John Ray so much for joining us and sharing his expertise with us. We'll be exploring a new topic each week, so please tune in so that when you're faced with your next executive decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us that we can help them. Once again, this is Mike Blake, our sponsor is Brady Ware & Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.